Welcome to the A Catholic Life Podcast. I am Matthew, the author of A Catholic Life, welcoming you to episode 35 of the A Catholic Life Podcast. In today's episode, published for the 20th Sunday after Pentecost, I address the following topics. First, the 2024 Traditional Catholic Fasting and Absence Calendar is now available. I'll be sharing more information about that. I'm very happy to make it available again for a new year. Secondly, I address the upcoming feast days this week, as I like to do in all of these episodes, to give us an understanding of the important saints we're celebrating this week and some of the traditions and customs associated with their lives. And three, I address briefly an article I recently wrote for the Fatima Center on the topic of the importance of holy friendships. But before we delve into those issues, I'd like to stop and thank the sponsor for today's episode. This episode is sponsored by CatechismClass.com. CatechismClass.com is the leader in online Catholic catechism classes, offering everything from online children's K-12 programs, RCIA classes, adult continuing education so you can learn your faith better, especially if you did not feel like you learned it well as a child, marriage preparation, baptismal preparation courses for parents and godparents, confirmation prep, quinceanera preparation classes, catechist training courses, even courses for deacons, priests, and anybody else who wants to delve into the mysteries of the faith, everything from beginner's courses to advanced ones. It's never too late to study the fullness of the Catholic faith, and catechismclass.com is the gold standard in authentic Catholic formation online, so please visit them today and thank them for their sponsorship. Again, it is catechismclass.com. On to the first topic of today's episode, I'm very happy to announce that I have recently published the 2024 Catholic Fasting and Abstinence Calendar. Now, I did this in 2022 and 2023, so if you go to the link in the show notes, you can download that calendar. It is a, it is a file that you can just save to your phone, you can print it, you can hang it on your fridge, you can hang it on your wall, and it's color-coded to give you an understanding of traditional days of fasting and absence, those that were in place in 1962, previously obligatory fasting and absence, previously obligatory abstinence with recommended fasting, um, just recommended fasting and absence days based upon previous traditions long ago, like, for instance, St. Martin's Lent or the Apostles' Fast or Assumption Day. But the calendar has so much more. It has all of the different vigils on there as recommended or obligatory days of fasting, depending on on what they uh, were actually. In addition to Ember Days, we have Rogation Days mentioned on here. We even have the National Day of Penance for Human Life for America in January on here. Of course, uh, Friday absence, but Saturday absence as well. The When people initially look at the calendar, they might be very surprised. In fact, some people say, is this correct? Roughly half of the year is absence, and it is. So if you look at the notes uh, in the show notes and you go to that article, there's more information on the methodology of how this calendar is created, um, really going based on what our forefathers did and how they observe fasting and absence and how it was so integral to their lives. It wasn't just one day a week, and it certainly wasn't just during Lent. It was constant, just as important as going to Mass, fasting and penance, and abstinence, of course, uh, a form of penance along with fasting, was practiced rigorously. 
So please take a look at that. And there's also a digital version of the calendar that you can order as well. If you did want to add it to your phone, it works with Outlook, Google, Apple, and all other calendar applications. So again, please check out the show notes if you'd like more information regarding the 2024 Catholic Fasting and Absence Calendar, which is now available. And please plan ahead to try to better observe these days that have been so totally forgotten in our modern world. In a world, in a church that needs fasting and penance more than ever before, this is a roadmap. This is what our forefathers did. We can do so too voluntarily and offer it up for the good of souls. Now on to the second topic of today's episode. I address the upcoming feast days this week. October 15th is the Feast of St. Teresa of Avila. Uh, St. Teresa of Avila, also called St. Teresa of Jesus, was born on March 28th of 1515 in Spain, and she loved our Lord since her youth. She would uh, even play hermits in her, uh, as a hermit in her garden. At the age of 12, uh, her mother died, and she prayed for our Blessed Mother, uh, the Virgin Mary, to be her mother instead in her mother's earthly mother's place. St. Teresa was very weakened by serious illness, though, in her youth, and she was uh, healed through the intercession of St. Joseph. Now, by the age of 17, she left home and in a religious order, but her father would not accept it initially. Finally, after seeing the conviction of his daughter, he consented to her entering the consecrated life. Teresa was soon ill again, and she never fully recovered. During this time of spiritual growth, she continued to receive visions approved as authentic following examinations by Dominicans and Jesuits, including St. Francis Borgia, whose feast day we just celebrated last week. Now, she founded a reformed convent after thinking her current one was too lax in the rule, and she suffered much along with St. John of the Cross for the long work of restoring the primitive rule of the Carmelites. In fact, most people don't realize St. John of the Cross was imprisoned, and his name and her name were very um, spoken against uh, in the day. You did not want to be associated with St. Teresa of Alva or St. John of the Cross because they were radicals trying to implement this traditional rule at the time that involved perpetual abstinence, not wearing shoes, and additional mortifications, and the order was against it. They wanted the mitigated rule that was approved. She suffered immensely for trying to bring about reform to the Carmelites. She was a great mystic and a writer, and she wrote The Interior Castle, a book I highly recommend. Now, she finally died on October 4th, 1582, in the arms of her secretary and close friend, Blessed Anne of St. Bartholomew. Her body is incorrupt, and she was canonized in 1622 by Pope Gregory XV. Now, while a great saint, she should not be considered a doctor of the church. That is an incorrect uh, opinion, really instituted after Vatican II, that women can be doctors of the church. I've written about that before, why that should not be the case, how it is a novelty, how it runs directly contrary to the writings of the saints, and most importantly, against Holy Scripture, where St. Paul says in 2 Timothy Um, I suffer not a woman to teach nor to use authority over the man, but to be in silence. And St. Thomas distinguishes here public from private teaching. In the home, a mother uh, certainly should teach her children, but publicly it's very different. And there's an important reason why the church always did not have women as doctors of the church. And um, I'll have a link in the show notes if you'd like to learn more information about that. 
I do think that is an error that many traditionalists uh, unknowingly fall into. They call her and um, they call St. Teresa of Lisieux as doctors of uh, of the church, and even St. Catherine of Siena, doctor of the church, we should not do so. That is a modern error, I do believe. But regardless, St. Teresa of Avila, a wonderful saint, a true mystic, and somebody we should really celebrate this week on October 15th, understanding her life and reading some of the interior castle will be a wonderful way to honor the day. October 16th is the Feast of St. Hedwig. She was born the daughter of the duke, of a duke, and she married Prince Henry I of, of Poland in 1186 at the age of 12. She became the mother of seven children, including St. Gertrude of Trebniz. Uh, St. Hedwig is the aunt of St. Elizabeth of Hungary. All in all, the life of St. Hedwig illustrates that holiness within the family is contagious and can help us make our loved ones saints. Of, of Hedwig's children, only Gertrude survived her. Um, she saw oversaw a great number of ministries, including caring for the sick, both personally and by founding hospitals. And upon her husband's death, she gave away her fortune and entered a monastery where her daughter was abbess. As the Catholic Encyclopedia says, quote, The Duchess practiced severe mortification, endured all trials with the greatest resignation, with self-denying charity, cared for the sick, and supported the poor. In her interior life of prayer, she gave herself up to meditation on supernatural things. Her piety and gentleness won for her, even during life, the reputation of a saint. She was interned in the church attached to the monastery and was canonized by Clement the, uh, the Fourth in 1267. And on August 25th of the same year, her remains were raised to the honors of the altar. May St. Hedwig pray for us, especially this upcoming October 16th. October 16th, though, is also the feast in some places of the purity of the Most Blessed Virgin Mary. It's kept by various religious orders in the church, as it is one of the masses said in some places. So it's not in the universal calendar. Nevertheless, it's worthy of our devotion on this day. And I do ask those who want to learn more information to read the show notes so that we can understand more uh, regarding this particular feast day, the purity of the Blessed Virgin Mary. October 17th is traditional, the feast day of St. Margaret Mary Alico, who spread devotion to the Sacred Heart. She was born in 1647 uh, and was healed from a rheumatoid fever, a crippling disorder, at a young age by a vision of the Blessed Virgin Mary. During her suffering, she developed an intimate friendship with Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament, and in the vision, Our Lady prompted St. Margaret to give her life to God. In 1671, after receiving a vision of Christ's scourging, she entered the Order of the Visitation. Now, beginning on December 27th of 1673 through 1675, our Lord appeared to St. Margaret Mary, asking her to receive him in Holy Communion on the first Friday of every month and to meditate on his Passion from 11 p.m. to 12 midnight each Thursday. He also revered to her 12 promises for all those devoted to his Sacred Heart, and he asked for a feast of the Sacred Heart to be instituted in the liturgical life of the Church. Yet St. Margaret Mary would suffer much for the sake of the Sacred Heart. She was immediately rebuffed by her superior. She finally won her over, but theologians and members of the community would not believe the validity of the apparitions. In 1675, St. Margaret Mary met St. Claude Lacombre, a newly ordained priest who was the superior of a group of Jesuits in Burgundy, and St. Claude would serve as her confessor for many years. He would specifically assist St. Margaret Mary in spreading devotion to the Sacred Heart before he was sent to England to serve as confessor to the Duchess of York. Finally, in 1683, uh, the uh, Mother Malin was elected superior of the community, and Margaret Mary was made her assistant. 
St. Margaret Mary would become the novice mistress. In 1686, the convent began to privately observe the Feast of the Sacred Heart, and two years later, a chapel was built uh, in honor of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. Following this, several nearby convents would begin to observe the feast, but it was not until after her death, her death occurred on October 17, 1690, that the Feast of the Sacred Heart was approved for specific dioceses by Clement the 13th, all, all yearly, a century later in 1765. Pope Pius IX would extend the Feast of the Sacred Heart to the Universal Church, not until 1856, and in 1899, Pope Leo XIII finally dedicated the whole world to the Sacred Heart. She was finally canonized by Pope Benedict XV in 1920, and in 1928, Pope Pius XI upheld the Church's position regarding the credibility behind her visions of Jesus Christ. As we see there, she worked her whole life based upon these visions to spread awareness of the First Friday devotion and devotion to the Sacred Heart and to get instituted the liturgical feast of the Sacred Heart. And it was nearly a century after her death that it finally spread. So we can see that we can plant the seeds now. We can do so much for the faith. And it's okay if we don't see it through. We trust that God will bring it out in the end. And that we can see especially in the life of St. Margaret Mary Alico. October 18th is the Feast of St. Luke, the patron saint of physicians, surgeons, goldsmiths, painters, and bachelors. He wrote the Gospel according to St. Luke and the Acts of the Apostles. Uh, according to tradition, he also painted the first icon. Now, he was born a pagan in Antioch around the year 74 AD and was possibly a slave. He was one of the first converts. St. Luke met St. Paul and evangelized Greece and Rome with him, and during Paul's two years' imprisonment, St. Luke stayed in Rome. St. Luke died a martyr. What's interesting to note is St. Luke's Day was a former day of ho a former holy day of obligation. The first catalog of holy days comes from the decree of Gratian from 1150, and shortly thereafter gave way to the decretals of Pope Gregory IX in 1234, which listed 45 holy days of obligation. Now, in the year 1295, Pope Benef Boniface VIII uh, enacted a decreto which commanded that each of the feasts of the twelve apostles, the four evangelists, and the four doctors of the church be celebrated as a duplex feast. Uh, you can read more information on the show notes. Some locations kept uh, St. Luke's Day as a holy day of obligation longer than others. For instance, in the modern-day areas of Texas, New Mexico, Arizona, and California, which were included in the ecclesiastical province of Mexico, these feasts were regulated by the Third Council of Mexico. Um, so in 1585, we read that the faithful observed as holy days of obligation in these territories, St. Fabian and Sebastian's Day, St. Thomas Aquinas' Day, St. Mark, St. Barnabas, the Visitation of the Blessed Virgin Mary, St. Mar uh, Mary Magdalene, St. Dominic, the Transfiguration, St. Francis of Assisi, St. Luke, St. Catherine of Alexandria, and the Expectation of the Blessed Virgin Mary, in addition to other days. So that's something most people in those areas have no idea that several centuries ago, our ancestors who lived there observed those days as holy days of obligation. We can honor St. Luke's Day, though, by going to Mass voluntarily on October 18th. We can also read the Acts of the Apostles, which he wrote. We can pray for doctors and those who care for the sick through the intercession of St. Luke, the patron saint of the physicians. There's also special foods on this day, which would include often beef dishes, as he's the patron saint of butchers. And that day is also known as Sour Cakes Day in Scotland, because baked cakes were eaten with sour cream on this day. This day is also known as St. Luke's Little Summer, a period of summer-like days that occur around October 18th, like the term Indian Summer, which officially 
occurs between November 11th and 20th, it was named to honor the saint's feast day. And in the past, St. Luke Day was not observed by the secular world as much as St. John the Baptist Day in Michael Mass. So to keep in the forefront, St. Luke gives us some golden days before the cold of winter. Another interesting custom associated with a saint that is unfortunately too often forgotten. Now, St. Um, Peter of Alicantra is celebrated on October 19th. You can read more information on, his show, on the show notes about him. And October 20th is the traditional feast of St. John Cantius, also known as St. John of Canty, who was born in Poland in the year 1390, and he lived to 1473. He was a priest and professor of theology at the University of Krakow, although he greatly feared the responsibility, but he took the responsibility seriously and soon won over the hearts of his parishioners. He kept only enough money and clothes on him to support him while all the rest was available to anyone that needed it. He ate sparingly, took no meat, and slept little. And while he did sleep, he slept on the floor in penance. During his life, he made four trips to Rome and one trip to Jerusalem, hoping to be martyred, but he eventually died on December 24th, Christmas Eve, 1473, in Krakow of natural causes. He is the patron of Poland and Lithuania, declared as such in 1737 by Pope Clement XII. And October 21st is the Feast of St. Hilarion, the abbot and disciple of St. Anthony the Great and companion of other saints. He was born in Palestine in 291 and educated in Alexandria, Egypt. He stayed with St. Anthony in the desert there before becoming a hermit himself near Gaza. In 356, St. Hilarion returned to St. Anthony in the Egyptian desert and found that his fame had spread there too. He fled to Sicily to escape notice, uh, but he was found there. Now, the two, um, that is um, his uh, companion, St. Um, Hesclius um, uh, and St. Hilarion, um, went to Croatia and then to Cyprus. St. Hilarion performed many miracles that crowds flocked to him, while he was discovered in the region. He ultimately died in Cyprus in the year 371, and then his remains were taken by his companion back to Palestine. He encountered great uh, temptations and tortures, really, uh, of the devil. St. John Vianney talks about this, and the Roman bravery has a wonderful selection on his life, talking about the penance he performed so rigorously that you can read in the show notes for additional inspiration on October the 21st. Those are the saints we celebrate this week, truly heroic saints, again, that the church puts before us as models that we are to imitate. And on to the last topic of today's episode, I'd like to briefly point out a recent article I wrote on the importance of holy friendships. As we see in some of the lives of the saints, they grew up in holy families. We see that in St. Hedwig. She was she was surrounded by a holy um, individual. The same can be said as well for St. Teresa of Lisieux or St. Ambrose. Now, St. Ambrose is the brother of two saints, uh, and St. Therese of Lisieux had very saintly parents. Um, it, it's the case that a lot of saints are surrounded by holy family members, but even if we live in a family that is not holy, that is okay. We can still strive for holiness. Now, in my article, I talk about St. Thomas Aquinas and his view on true friendship. He identifies three categories of friendship, friendships of pleasure, friendships of utility, and friendships of virtue. And it is friendships of virtue that we should strive to have in our lives. For instance, I talk about St. Francis de Sales as a true model of friendship. He was good friends of St. Vincent de Paul and great friend of St. Jane Francis de Chantal. And their friendship really brought about incredible uh, work for the glory of the church and for the good of souls. We also see other examples of friendship, like St. Francis of Assisi, 
and St. Clair. We see St. Teresa of Avila and St. John of the Cross. I talked about St. Teresa of Avila and St. John of the Cross already in this episode, and their friendship really brought about a true transformation for the Carmelite order. We see it as well in St. Philip Neri and St. Mary Magdalene de Pazzi, who fostered a truly heroic friendship in Italy. Um, so it's not uh, only the case that we need to be born in a holy family. We can even look up to holy priests. St. John Bosco, for instance, a priest and educator, had a very close friendship with one of his students, St. Dominic Savio. Um, so we can certainly do what we can to try to foster our friendships. We, if we live in a family that is not holy, we must and we can and we should pray for them. But that cannot and will not need to set us back. We can choose our friends. So let us always choose holy friends in our life. Thank you so much for listening. May God bless you. God grant you a most blessed week. Thanks again. Ad maiorum Dei Gloriam. We do